Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program with Steve Z. Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program for Wednesday, January 5th, 2021. Let's get right to it, shall we? Testing. I know this remains frustrating. Believe me, it's frustrating to me. But we're making improvements. In the last two you To what? In the last two you To two youths. What was that word? To you. Uh, what word? To you. To what? To you. What? Did you say utes? To you. Yeah, to utes. To you. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two weeks, we've stood up federal testing sites all over the country. We're adding more each and every day. Who cares that he set up new testing sites? Whoop-de-doo. He did it in the last two ute, uh, two weeks, right? Gropey Joe Biden, the gaff machine. And here's what he had to say about inflation, blaming it all on greedy meatpacking conglomerates. <laughs> capitalism without competition isn't capitalism. It's exploitation. That's what we're seeing in meat and poultry and those industries now. Small, independent farmers and ranchers are being driven out of business, sometimes businesses that have been around for generations. So in the Gropy Joe feeble-minded thought process of how can I find a way to spend more tax dollars on something that won't solve a problem, he's proposing $100 million to reduce the cost of inspections. Think about that. He's going to spend $100 million to reduce the cost of inspections? That makes no sense at all. Another $100 million to study the effects of the supply chain crisis. No study needed, Mr. President. There's a supply chain crisis that you and your economic policies have caused. Just go back to the way things were before you started screwing up the country a year ago, and you can save the taxpayers $100 million. But wait, there's more. $800 million for government grants and loans to smaller businesses. You heard me. $800 million given away to smaller meatpacking companies so that they can compete with larger meatpacking companies. Hey, hey, Joe Biden, I am a smaller news outlet than your buddies over at CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS, HLN. Why don't you give me a major grant because I'm a much smaller facility doing the same job, reporting the truth. Of course, I'll never see a dime in government grants. Not under Joe Biden. Worry not. I have discovered that not every single Democrat in politics is a short-sighted crook looking to make a buck off of you, the taxpayers. Joe Manchin has given himself the opportunity once again to earn my approval and praise. He sounded a skeptical note yesterday on Tuesday about the prospects of easing the Senate's filibuster rules, and that raises doubts about whether he will provide any support to the Democrats' renewed push for what they call voting legislation, which they claim is needed to protect democracy. Let me explain something before I get into this. Our democracy has been doing just fine for 240 plus years. Understand? We have survived as a nation, as a democratic republic, the way things are. This new so-called voter rights legislation the Democrats are posing, it is nothing more than an open invitation to allow more and more 
voter fraud, to allow illegal immigrants to vote, and to not require voter identification, which we all know people will vote more than once, and dead people will show up to the polls in the live bodies of people claiming to be the dead person. We've seen it time and time and time again, and now the Democrats want to make it legal and lawful to commit open voter fraud in order to keep themselves in power. But Joe Manchin recognizes the absolute partisan Democrat push and said, I'm a little skeptical about that. I think whatever we do, we can't go it alone. No matter what what side does, it ends up coming back at you pretty hard. He says he's exploring options that we have open. That skepticism comes a day after Chuckles the Clown Schumer announced that the Senate will soon vote on easing filibuster rules. That, as I have adequately and accurately predicted in the past, will definitely come back to bite the Senate Democrats after the Republicans take back control of both houses of Congress in the upcoming midterms. Chuckles the Clown said, let me be clear, January 6th was a symptom of a broader illness, an effort to delegitimize our election process, and the Senate must advance systemic democracy reforms to repair our republic, or else the events of that day will not be an aberration, they will be the new normal. Hey, Chuck Schumer is right. This will be the new normal, where they weaponize peaceful demonstrations on the right and glorify not-so-peaceful demonstrations on the left. Never let a good crisis go to waste, right, Democrats? Even if it's a crisis that was nowhere near the level of the crisis that occurred in Portland, in Seattle, in Louisville, in St. Louis, in Minneapolis, in other cities, when what you guys called peaceful protesting actually caused injury and death, and the January 6th, as you call it, insurrection or riot, was just a bunch of people who got a little bit out of bounds, tipped over a few coffee tables, a lamp, And the only person killed in January 6th of last year happened to be a white woman named Ashley Babbitt, an Air Force veteran who was unarmed but was gunned down in cold-blooded murder by a black Capitol cop who they still think was just doing his job. Imagine had that been a white Capitol cop and a black person unarmed murdered in cold blood in the U.S. Capitol. We'd still be hearing about it. They'd be erecting gold statues of the African American who got killed as if they were some kind of hero. Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Cinema of Arizona have tried to warn their party that changes to the Senate rules will cause them trouble. But once a Democrat leader gets an idea in their head, it's really hard for people like Chuckles Schumer or Joe Biden or Nazi Pelosi to change. How a Senate filibuster rules could be changed remains under discussion. A full-scale end of the filibuster is out of reach for Democrats, but changing the rules will need 50 votes plus a camel toe. Manchin and Cinema have said that they are unwilling to go that far. According to The Hill, gropey Joe Biden's disapproval numbers have hit a record high in the latest polling. According to the CNBC Change Research poll, Joe Biden's December numbers are at an all-time high. The survey showed 56% of voters disapprove of Biden's performance as your president. That's up from 54% in September, 
49% in April as more and more and more Americans come to realize the joke we have in the White House. His approval rating now supposedly stands at 44% according to that poll. Other polling data has him down as low as 37%. It was particularly bad news for the commander-in-cheat when it came to the public's opinion of his handling or mishandling of the economy and the COVID-19, 2021, and 22 pandemic. Specifically, the poll indicated 60% of respondents disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy and 55% disapprove of his pandemic response. Since I learned yesterday that many Democrats and progressives and liberals listen to the Truth Hurts program, I'll break this down into simple terms that even you can understand. When it comes to gropey Joe Biden's handling of the United States economy, if you get 10 people in a room, six of them will disapprove. Six of them will say, oh my God, gropey Joe, you're doing a piss poor job on the economy. If you put 100 people in a room, 55 of those people, that's a majority, say they disapprove of gropey Joe Biden's response to the Wuhan China novel coronavirus. On the economy, 72% say they disapprove of Biden's management of pricing on everyday goods, and a full two-thirds, 66%, say they do not approve of gropey Joe Biden's efforts to help their wallets, their own personal finances. 46% say the stock market is doing not so good or poor, despite one of the best market years in decades. The S&P 500 did complete the year up 26.89%, but they lagged behind reality. Regarding vaccine mandates, the survey indicated that one half of the nation says gropey Joe Biden has gone too far and his overreach is outside of what he has been elected to do. In other words, he is acting unconstitutionally. The survey included 1,895 respondents. It has a margin of error of 3.1%. Joe Biden is mishandling the Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. That's right, boys and girls. A piss-poor job at best by the commander-in-cheat. And follow the science, remember? The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is expected to update its guidance on the recommended isolation period, according to a source familiar with their plans. The agency could provide an update today. They were facing pressure over the last week from outside medical experts to include a testing component in their new shortened isolation period. Here's what happened, my friends. I'll break it down for those of you in Democrat land who listen to the Truth Hurts program so that you can become more informed, enlightened, and educated. They make up the numbers as they go along. We've known this from day one. They make up everything. It's just like pulling numbers out of a hat. Remember the six feet of social distancing? They pulled that number out of a hat. They wanted it to be 10, but they said, that eh, might be ridiculous. They had no science to back up their six foot social distancing rule. Remember, it was Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Rochelle Walensky of the CDC who said, don't wear a mask, and then wear a mask, and then wear two masks. How stupid. Then they said, isolate for 10 days, and then it was seven, and now it's five? What, did the virus suddenly decide, oh, 
people don't like isolating for that long, so I'll give myself a shorter lifespan? Of course not. They don't know. They are clueless. Get a vaccine. You won't need to wear a mask anymore. Oh, sorry. You get a vaccine, you still need to wear a mask. Vaccines work, but they don't. But they do? I'm confused. So let me get this right. I can go out with a mask and another mask and a face shield and wash my hands and use hand sanitizer. And I can get a vaccine and then I can get a second shot of the same vaccine. Then I can get a booster, but I still have to wear a mask and I still have to isolate and I still have to social distance. If that's the case, why the hell do I need the vaccine? And why the hell do I need a mask? And why the hell do I need to social distance? And why the hell do I need to wash my hands? They discovered this week that in the most isolated place on planet Earth, the Antarctic Research Station, down at the bottom, the South Pole, in the freezing sub-zero cold, scientists there trying to figure out why the Earth does what it does, have come down with COVID, and not just COVID, but the new African variant known as Omicron. Now, if no one has been there, because these scientists are isolated in place for months and months at a time, how the hell did they get the new African Omicron variant? Use your heads, people. This stuff is everywhere. It's in the air. It's just another flu. People die from the flu. People die from this version of the flu. Now, I'm no scientist. I am no microbiologist. I am no epidemiologist. But it stands to reason that if the flu, the regular flu, mutates each and every year, which is why you have to get a new flu shot every year, supposedly. And sometimes they say, oops, we formulated this year's flu shot against type 1, but it turned out to be type 2. As if there could only be two flu types? Maybe there's a third flu type. Maybe it's called COVID. They just didn't want to say, holy crap, our type 1 or our type 2 flu vaccine are not working against this new type 3. So let's call it COVID. Let's call it the Wuhan China novel coronavirus. Then we'll come up with some new way of injecting poison into people's bodies in the name of science, in the name of health, in the name of public safety. Walensky last week told CNN, we opted to not have the rapid test for isolation because we actually don't know how our rapid tests perform and how well they predict whether you're transmissible during the end of illness. My friends, this is the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And she says, quote, we actually don't know how our rapid tests perform and how well they predict whether you're transmissible during the end of disease. The key operative words here, of course, we don't know and how our rapid tests perform. They don't know how things work. And they're supposed to be the experts. So let's push Dr. Walensky aside and let's talk with Dr. Anthony Fucci, the supposed top infectious disease specialist. That means he's the guy who's supposed to be the pinnacle, the top, the best of the best of the best. Sir, he said, 
the likelihood of transmissibility is considerably lower in the second half of the 10-day period following a result. It is likely the transmissibility is lower. It is likely? I thought you were an expert. I thought you were the man with the plan. I thought Dr. Fauci knew what the hell he was talking about. Not really. I knew he didn't really know. He is a money-grubbing, stock-market-playing hound dog who invests heavily in U.S. patents on vaccines. That's what he does for a living. So let's go back to Dr. Walensky for a moment, who said the decision really, from an isolation standpoint, had everything to do with the fact that we wouldn't change our guidance based on the result of a rapid test. And you know that it didn't have anything to do with a shortage at all because we recommend rapid tests for those in quarantine. A little backpedaling from someone who doesn't have a clue, in my opinion. The United States House of Representatives lost a Republican member this week. California Republican Devin Nunes formally resigned from Congress on Monday. And guess what? He's leaving to run former President Donald Trump's new media and technology company. Not so sure if that was a wise move, Devin. Devin Nunes read his letter aloud on the House floor on Monday, saying his resignation will take effect at 11.59 Monday evening, one minute before midnight. He said, The Honorable, the Speaker, House of Representatives, Madam, I write to inform you that I have notified... California Governor Gavin Newsom of my resignation from the U.S. House of Representatives effective today at 11.59 p.m. It has been the honor of my life to represent the people of California's San Joaquin Valley for the last 19 years. He was expected to become chairman of the House Appropriations Committee after the 22 midterms came about and restored Republican control to the House. The whole number of the House currently sits at 433 members instead of 435 because they had a death of a Democrat Florida representative and that position has not been filled yet. Let's slide back into gropey Joe Biden's mishandling of the Wuhan China novel coronavirus. According to NPR, National Public Radio, a very, very friendly organization to the Democrats, Quote, mounting evidence suggests COVID not as deadly as thought. Did the experts fail again? Remember, the experts have subjected us to a blunder greater than any in our history. In April 2005, Charles Dulfer was the CIA's top weapons inspector in Iraq. He admitted in the CIA's final report, after extensive searching, no weapons of mass destruction could be found. Remember that? Today, it's generally accepted that the presence of weapons of mass destruction was the primary basis for the U.S. entering the Iraq war. The statement made by Dulfer that there were no weapons of mass destruction shook the world. The media blamed politicians. Politicians blamed U.S. intel. And the U.S. intelligence actors involved spent years defending their claims that there were indeed weapons of mass destruction but somebody moved them. The official word chronicled in a Rob Silberman report concluded that intelligence community did not adequately explain just how little good intelligence it had 
or how much its assessments were driven by assumptions rather than concrete evidence. Here we go again, my friends. Mounting evidence suggests the coronavirus is more common and less deadly than it first appeared to be, according to NPR. I'm trying to make the distinction between the WMDs in Iraq and the blatant mishandling of the coronavirus by the Biden administration. Evidence has been coming forward from tests that detect antibodies to the coronavirus in the person's blood rather than the virus itself. The tests are finding large numbers of people in the U.S. and around the world who have been infected but never showed a single symptom, which proves the coronavirus is far, far less dangerous and more like a common cold. When these mild infections are included in the coronavirus statistics, there is solid proof that Wuhan, China novel coronavirus, better known as covid is not nearly as dangerous. Current best estimates for an infection fatality risk are less than 1%, according to Caitlin Rivers, an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. In contrast, they claim death rates of 5% or more for people who had COVID, but that's really only people who have very adverse effects to COVID. If Yet another illegal presidential mandate were decreed tomorrow that every person in the nation has to line up and get a blood test. I think we would find about 80% of the nation has the Wuhan China novel coronavirus in their bloodstream, but the vast majority, 99. at least 5%, show no symptoms whatsoever. You might recall the fatality rate debate took place way early in this so-called pandemic. And we, the common sense people on the right side of the issue, have said early on, this thing is not that deadly when compared to other causes of death. It is about equal to the flu. You may recall on this very program, I discussed over and over how deadly the virus was not and what the collective response to the virus should have been. Some voices exercised caution. Jeremy Faust, an emergency medicine physician and instructor at Harvard Medical School, wrote, The public is behaving as if this pandemic is the next Spanish flu, which is understandable given the initial reports have staked COVID-19 mortality at 2 to 3% similar to the 1918 pandemic that killed tens of millions of people. Allow me to be the bearer of good news. These frightening numbers are unlikely to hold. He was right, but he was silenced. No one wanted to hear from Dr. Faust because they were listening to Dr. Fauci, who was predicting gloom and doom and worldwide death rates in the millions. You may recall back on March 5th, vaccine expert Paul Offit who holds the Maurice Hillman Chair of Vaccinology at the University of Pennsylvania, told factcheck.org that he believed the World Health Organization's 3.4% fatality rate figure was way too high, suggesting it was well below 1%, actually. He said, we're more the victim of fear than the virus, adding that the world was witnessing a wild overreaction to the disease. Voices like Faust and Offit were quickly drowned out and silenced by the mainstream leftist media who chose to weaponize the Wuhan China virus and use it as a method to shut down capitalism. 
and of course, to get rid of somebody like Donald Trump and other world leaders of conservative nature. Think about all of those democracies who saw massive changes away from conservatism and towards progressive socialism over the past 15 months. Neil Ferguson is a professor of mathematical biology at Imperial College over in good old London. He was another doomsayer, a gloom and doom guy. He said millions will die in the, quote, best case scenario. He was wrong. But they keep quoting him. During this overhyped so-called pandemic, the United States has seen over 40 million jobs lost. Many of them aren't coming back. Recession looms on the horizon. Hundreds of thousands of businesses have simply been wiped off the map, and the federal debt has now surged to almost $27 trillion under gropey Joe Biden. Unfortunately, the COVID disaster and the Iraq war fit a similar pattern. Historian Paul Johnson observed most of the world's events of the 20th century were perpetuated by so-called experts who used collective power and the media to shape world events in a direction they thought would be beneficial. Johnson wrote in The Intellectuals, quote, One of the principal lessons of our tragic century, which has seen so many millions of innocent lives sacrificed in schemes to improve the lot of humanity, is beware, intellectuals. Not merely should they be kept away from the levels of power. They should also be objects of particular suspicion when they seek to offer collective advice. Nobody is denying the massive cost of the draconian lockdowns put in place by the Democrats. But what was gained by those lockdowns remains a subject of contention. J.P. Morgan reported in May, along with other evidence, suggesting the lockdowns had little to no impact on the spread of COVID. I agree. J.P. Morgan actually has a physicist and strategist on their payroll. Marco Kolanovic pointed out that the majority of nations saw declines in infections after lockdowns were lifted. You heard me correctly. Most nations saw declines in infection rates after lockdowns were lifted. Kolanovic says... Unlike rigorous testing of new drugs, lockdowns were administered with little to no consideration that they might not only cause economic devastation, but potentially cause more deaths than COVID-19 itself. Bloomberg's analysis back in May found little correlation between the severity of a nation's restrictions and whether or not it managed to curb excess fatalities. Norway's top health official recently stated that lockdowns were not a necessary step to tame the virus. However, liberal rags like the Washington Compost this week cited studies claiming lockdown orders prevented hundreds of millions of COVID-19 infections and saved millions of lives. They have absolutely no evidence to support their statement. They're just reading the company line out of the Fuchi Biden handbook. Those findings that they posted come with caveats, however. One of the studies was submitted on March 22nd, well before the vast majority of COVID cases even occurred. Another study was conducted by researchers at the Imperial College of London, the same school from which Dr. Ferguson hailed. He since, by the way, resigned after it was discovered that he broke the lockdown protocol that he helped design by allowing his married lover to come into his home. Ferguson, who in 2005 said up to 200 million people might die from the bird flu, 
By the way, only 100 people died from the bird flu, not 200 million, just 100 people. He was asked by the New York Times in March what the best case scenario was for the U.S. Ferguson said about 1.1 million deaths would be the best case scenario. As of June 10th of this year, Ferguson was only off by a factor of 10. Learn your decimal points, Ferguson. Why should we continue to listen to the schools that have already proven to be so disastrously wrong is anyone's guess. I think, chicken little, the sky is falling. In 2003, you recall, state actors led the world into a bloody years-long struggle in Iraq to protect the world from nuclear weapons that likely did not exist, only to eventually learn how little U.S. intel experts actually knew about Iraq's nuclear technology and capability. Here we are in 2022. The central planners from around the world decided to go ahead and shut down a global economy to protect people from an invisible, contagious virus that results in no symptoms or very mild symptoms for 95-plus percent of those who come into contact with it. Some lessons, my friends, seem extremely hard to learn. Thanks to John Miltimore, the managing editor of FEE.org, for input on that story. That is all the time we have for this edition of the Truth Hurts program. Go out there and make it a great day. Happy Wednesday, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Thank you.